This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. What's happening? It's Friday, and I am not Kelly, nor am I joined by either Kelly nor Ramia. They are off for today. They will return on Monday, we do promise. Joining me today is Know Your Rights contributor, Danielle McLaughlin. You can hear her on Mondays at 3.30 Eastern Time. Danielle, nice to have you along for the ride today, and uh, nice to do a show with you. Really nice to be here with you, too. I am also not Ramya, and I am very happy to be here with you today, Brock. It's always a treat when the two of us get to uh, put our heads together and run away with the show. Yes, and we... We will put it back where we found it when uh, it hits 4 o'clock. But uh, we're going to guide you through your uh, Friday of Kelly and Ramia and get you set for the weekend as we often do. Before we tell you what's coming up on the program, I thought that I would ask you, Danielle, do you have a favorite day of the week that is not Saturday or Sunday? And adversely, you can throw in a least favorite day of the week if you want. Well, you know what? At the moment, Mondays are my favorite day because I get to do my Know Your Rights segment. And I'm always uh, having a great time talking with Kelly and Ramya and you and Bethany and Grant and anybody who's who's on the show about important issues. And I look forward to it. I enjoy doing the research the week before, and it's always a joy. But I have to tell you about Thursdays. When my children were little, my husband would have Thursdays when he was a graduate student. He would teach and he would do research and he would be totally unavailable for anything else on Thursdays. And invariably, if there was going to be a family crisis, it would happen on a Thursday. And I used to dread, oh no, it's it's Wednesday, that means tomorrow's Thursday, something awful is going to happen. And it almost always did. So even today, there's a little bit of holdover. Now, do you have a favorite day? I do, and it's going to be funny, my response, and I promise you, Danielle, and I did not talk about this before, uh, Thursday is my favorite day of the week <laughs> because I have a bunch of different uh, appointments and a friend of the show and attendant of mine, Catherine Vatcher, and I get to get into a whole heap of trouble on Thursdays. We get to do things inclusive of the medical appointments and things that aren't inclusive of the medical appointments. I love Thursdays. I, I don't really have a day that I dislike uh, maybe Sunday at about 7 p.m. Because yeah. you're like, oh, we're, we're back at the weekend. But overall, I'm pretty pretty happy with with uh, the days of the week. What you're going to be happy with now is when we tell you what's coming up on today's program. Let's do it. During our app update with John Beeler, we discuss the fact that X will be charging new users $1 per year in two different countries. We'll discuss that in our app update. How are teams faring after week one of the NHL season? Our friend Brock Richardson will tell us on our sports update. On the chatty bookshelf, Ryan Huey discusses an author who uses Sodomin, and this is going to be blowing up 
social media. He'll tell us all about that in the Chatty Bookshelf in hour two of the program on Kelly and Romeo. Danielle, you picked a chat topic for us to talk about for a couple of minutes. What did you choose? I read on my script that says <laughs> something about frogs. Absolutely. So I'm very, very well, intrigued. I, I, I said to my husband, you know, I need to think of something kind of fun to talk about. The world has been so dark. And he said, well, what about the time that you had to take care of all those frogs? And back in the very, very uh, hazy, distant past, when um, he and I both worked in the Department of Zoology at the University of Toronto, I had the care and feeding of a very large colony of Xenopus livus frogs, which are also called South African clawed frogs. And I would have to feed them... Now, these are really big. They're about the size of a dinner plate, and they are completely um, aquatic, so they float on the surface of the water. They, they do something called rafting. They just hang out together and in a kind of collection of frogs. It's quite bizarre, and they eat... Um, meat and animals and we, the reason we started talking about it was because somebody was talking about how you had to put vitamins you had give animals vitamins and i remembered sometimes we'd have to take a bag of crickets and shake vitamin powder all over the crickets in order to make sure that the frogs were properly fed um they, so we had vitamin covered crickets for them the, the story, if I have one moment to talk about, was one time during the Christmas holidays, we were supposed to get a delivery uh, to the lab of a different sort of frog. And, of course, the labs were closed over Christmas. So the delivery company said, well, we can bring them to your house. Well, we lived in a small apartment with our three children and our cat. And the box arrived, and neither of us could remember, what is this box? And we opened it. And out of the box leapt so many frogs. We were leaping. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. They were in the kitchen. They were in the coat closet. They were in our boots. They were. The kids were having a wonderful time. The cat was absolutely terrified. Um, <clears throat> and we thought we found all of them because we. they didn't tell us how many they'd sent. Um, and I have to say that after we'd taken the box to the lab after Christmas was over, we, we did a count and discovered... Um, I think there might still be some frogs someplace in our apartment. And sure enough, they showed up every now and then for the next week or two. It was um, uh, it was challenging. <laughs> I, I was very intrigued of this story until you told the part about the frogs leaping out of the box <laughs> and finding them later. That would be absolutely <laughs> terrifying. I've got to say, I'm not I'm not afraid of frogs, but if I had a bunch leaping at me that might you know change my view of frogs but see this just tells you <laughs> folks you never know what we're going to talk about in on kelly and rummy on any given day we went from favorite days of the week least favorite days of the week to talking about frogs so <laughs> there you go to open your friday here on kelly and rummy coming up after the break we're going to be chatting with susan kearney who is going to be talking about the spice tree Sounds very spicy, this conversation we're going to have. Let's get into it in about two minutes. We'll be back. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Uh, conversation continued on the break with some of the uh, control room and it was mentioned that this, someone had 
tree frogs in their in their mother's house and it was an infestation so i asked i said what is an infestation and she, and eliza said oh i i saw about five and I, i'm thinking okay that but then she said her mom kept finding more so maybe the conversation danielle of today is let's see if other people have had infestations and where we're starting there might be infestations in our garden but i'll hand things over to you to introduce our guest who's in studio today well i am so happy that on fridays we have gardening with our friend susan kearney today we're going to be talking about the spice tree and we do have susan with us in the studio hello i'm susan kearney join me on kelly and ramya for the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound. Susan, it is such a pleasure to have you here in the studio with me. I, I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's good to be here. It's wonderful. Well, I understand we're going to talk about spice trees today, and I, I'm, I must confess, I don't think I know about spice trees. Can you t- what can you tell us? Well, uh, the, the spice tree that uh, I'm going to um, highlight is the uh, North American native spice tree, or the wild um, allspice tree. And she, you, you have probably actually met this tree. I know that I don't have one in my garden. I'd love to. Um, it's very aromatic. Ah. And um, and you can make tea from her twigs and her buds and her leaves. She um, is actually, uh, I think most of it, the tree you can actually do things with. And uh, right now, um, before we get our frost, she would be out in uh, wooded areas. And I'm sure a lot of people have them in their gardens. Uh, it, they only grow as far uh, north as Ontario. I'm sorry, the rest of Canada, they don't grow. But I'm sure somebody has. I'll bet you because I have banana trees and palm trees um, that I have to bring in. Oh, my. And I'm sure that I'll be finding all sorts of odd things in the soil when I bring my things in. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to use the word infestation exactly. But um, sometimes uh, slightly unwelcome visitors come in with our house plants. Plants, yes. Yes, that's that's true. now, I've, I've read from time to time about a new beastie called a jumping worm. Oh. Do you, have you heard from, about these guys? Uh, yes, actually. And um, they're, they're, the botanical gardens actually put out different uh, things about um, sharing plants mm-hmm. with, with people and, you know, to different gardens because this is how they spread. Uh-huh. And uh, so if, if you get a plant from somebody, uh, I now I'm only really trading seeds or seed pods um, rather than roots that might have soil on them just so that, um, because you, you don't know. And yes, they can come in in soil. We do have them in the, uh, uh, the Metro Toronto area and I think in other parts of Ontario too. Oh dear! Yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard not nice things about yeah. them. But yeah. tell tell me more about this spice okay. tree. Can, have you used it in cooking, or you know, what what would you use the the the, the bits for? Okay, the the um the very tender twigs and the buds can be made into tea. So can the leaves, and the leaves are quite spicy. It's really a member of the laurel family. Ah. 
uh, and also allspice family. So it, that it has that particular lovely smell um, of the allspice, and it. You can use the leaves in potpourri. You'll often see the leaves in potpourri uh, when they're dried in the uh, in the winter. In the winter, the, the bright yellow leaves, and those bright yellow leaves are important because it attracts the birds, and because this tree has um, the allspice berries on them. They're red, and it will feed our our birds that stay behind and some of our reptiles and uh and and also um other other little mammals or mice and so on and so forth uh throughout the winter once it freezes that'll be in the next two or three weeks the leaves fall off but those lovely berries stay on and when you dry them that's an allspice berry no kidding i always thought allspice was a tropical plant ah it is because it's the same member of the same family this is wild um allspice but you can use it Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Well, this this is really good to mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Wow! So, what else is happening in your garden? Well, uh, I uh, yesterday I actually. Um cut down my poor banana tree uh, to four feet rather than 14 feet oh my. so I could, put, I could put it into a warmer area um, and then I, I brought in the, the palm trees so I, I'm, I'm probably going to get some creatures and talking about the allspice plant I, it actually deters some of those naughty bugs oh. um, they don't like to eat it it's it's um it it's perfumey tasting if you you know smell allspice so they don't like to eat it so that's that tree's protection and that's why it can be used as potpourri uh, because it will keep some of those you know creatures creatures away well it sounds like something you could put in your sock drawer as yes well. <laughs> you probably could you probably could yes that's hey susan is there something about the spice tree that like really overall like fascinates you or something that you didn't know before learning about the spice tree that you just go wow i didn't know this well she is very important in the spring because uh, her bright yellow flowers feed our butterflies uh-huh. she is a butterfly catcher and um, all those little larvas that i've talked about that are underneath all the leaves they'll come up and and when they start spreading their their wings to fly and get strong they take the nectar from her flowers so she works all through the season all the way to the fall where she um her lovely leaves and her berries to feed the birds so she is a, an extremely important native plant um, here in North America. Now, can you, can you buy an allspice tree at a at a garden center, or I have you never have to find one. No, I've never <laughs> seen one um, I, at a garden center. I, I have seen them advertised on um, the, on native North American native. Um, plant sales. I've seen them there. I just don't have enough room anymore in my garden. <laughs> well, if you have a 14-foot banana tree, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I would I would love that tree because it's it smells very nice. So, uh but no, I I have not found one at an ordinary um garden uh place. So, Maybe in woods, uh, there, there'd be several in different wooded areas, but it would be a lovely one to have in the garden, attract all those oh, butterflies. Yes. Yeah. Now, 
the scent, does, do, do you find the scent when you just walk past, or do you actually have to brush the leaves or crush the leaves in order to find that scent? You, you, uh, everything on the tree has that scent. Uh-huh. So when the wind blows, it actually can sort of rattle its twi- twi- the twigs and the, and the leaves. So it stays that way all season, that, that, lovely, wow. that lovely scent, that spice wow. scent. Well, this this is completely new to me. I am I'm going to have to go out the next time I'm walking in woods and just <laughs> use my nose and see if I can trace down <laughs> that allspice scent. Yes. You you talked to Susan about you know using some of the from the spice tree in teas and things like that. Have you yourself tried anything from the spice tree? Yes, I have actually. I have yeah. made tea out of the out of the twigs um, because I visited a, an area that had um, North American uh, native trees, and they actually gave you a, the, you could get little bags of the of the twigs and the buds uh, to make wow. the uh, the tea. So you'd know what it would taste like. It it is like an allspice, it t- tasty and warming. It's very warming um, it, for the for the fall time. So it's it's a very warming, uh, gentle. Uh, tea, very calming. Did you like the taste yourself? Yes, I did. Actually, I I did. Now I have not eaten the berries uh, um, at all. So, but you can eat the berries too. Not only the birds, humans can <laughs> eat them too. Um, but I have not eaten the the berries at all. I have not tasted those. I wonder if it's something you could you know put into say cookies or or some other sort of baking. Yeah, I'm not really sure whether you um, that whether you could put them into baking. But um, they're they're lovely dried um, in uh, in potpourri's mm-hmm. and uh, so that and and they do have that scent, that lovely scent. Oh, that's that's mm-hmm. really really nice. I, I I always learn something from you, Susan. Every, that's why I look forward to your segments every every week. I think, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to find out something new. And uh, you know, I, I have to say that I've I've tried all sorts of hints that you've given to the garden, you know, to the community. Um, yeah. I, I I think I still have a bottle of a mixture. I think of lavender and sage oh, that I boiled yes. up and yes. turned into a spray. Yeah. Um, my hope was that squirrels wouldn't like it, but I oh. haven't really found anything that squirrels don't like. Oh, no, now, so, they, oh, no, yeah. no. You will never find it. They they try everything, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have such a hate on for squirrels. <laughs> they, I think the, the only thing that I've discovered that, that really is, is successful is, like, um, steel plates, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> that, you know, that and chicken wire may be the only things that actually keeps them away. Yes, they try everything. You know, I don't think I, I don't think I want to ask you what you've done with steel plates and squirrels. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, this is. Uh, this- this is interesting, uh, but you know, you know, I got some people that will just you know feed the squirrels. But then I know, oh coming, yes, coming, and you shouldn't. Oh no. my goodness, no, those aren't my friends. No, me neither. <laughs> I have some neighbors who put peanuts out for squirrels, and I think really there's plenty for squirrels to eat. You don't need to feed them. And then I find the peanuts throughout my garden, of course, because they come and bury them, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, nasty little critters! <laughs> I give me a frog any time. <laughs> 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 oh dear. Yes. So I also wanted to ask you a little bit about mildew in the garden right yes. now. Um, I've noticed that, is it just a sort of natural part of the fall or is this something we should be trying to prevent? Well, um, are they on your hostas? 
Uh, the hostas have mainly been chowed down okay. on by the snails. Because, yes, <laughs> yeah, okay. Because they, they will get on the hostas yes. and then spread. And also the roses, I yes, find. And this the roses. year, because August was, August was so wet and mm -hmm. cloudy um uh, the anything any roses i uh, they then they got a lot of that mildew underneath i don't know how you can really get rid of that except yeah. cut the roses down and hope that um it, it does it didn't damage down to the roots it yeah. was only because mother nature uh august and september did the dance and we got august in september and yes. august had september weather and uh so it was so wet in august and and i know a lot of mildewy I've, i have had to law pick a lot of the leaves up from my garden mm. um from different plants and there it is all slimy underneath yeah. the mildew yes mm. Yeah. yeah, we we have um, perennial sweet peas, and right now they oh. just look like they've been dusted. Yes. I mean, it's really not yeah, a good, yeah, not that, great. Yeah, that must mold that yeah. gets on everything. Yeah, you can get powder for that, but I don't, I don't use I don't it like myself. To if I me don't neither. Have to. No, yeah. me neither. No. Yeah. Well, Susan, this is just yes. lovely, and I have to say that having you in in studio with me, I feel like it's an extra special yes, treat. Thank was. you so <laughs> much for coming in. Bye. That was our good friend, Susan Kearney, and you can join us every Friday for Gardening with Susan Kearney. Even as a non-gardener, I always learn something about the garden because of Susan Kearney, so we always appreciate that. Coming up next, we're going to have our app update with John Beeler. He's going to be discussing the idea that X will be charging users in two different countries one dollar per year i know i have some thoughts about that let's see what he has to say next year on kelly and cup kelly and ramia stay with us we'll be back stick around and learn something new kelly and ramia return with more in a moment Welcome back to Kelly and Ramia, and it's your Friday edition as we truck along. Kelly and Ramia will be back on Monday, as I mentioned off the top of the show. But who will be joining us now is John Beeler of the App Show. Let's bring him on. Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Ramia, where I share the latest app, mobile, and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security will cover the gamut. Well, John, it's nice to have you on the program as always. And when I got this information yesterday for today's show, I saw your first topic where X is going to start to charge people in two countries $1 per year. And I know for me, I'm just kind of like, hmm, seems a little weird. I know it's only a dollar, I get it, but for me, it's kind of the principle of it being charged. What are your thoughts on this? I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly, but I do kind of think this might be an interesting approach to dealing with the bot problem that X suffers from greatly right now, um, because this is specifically uh, being trialed in two countries, New Zealand and the Philippines, and it's only for new users. So... The biggest problem is a lot of bots are spun up and then, uh, you know, disabled and and you know, killed off right 
right away as soon as they start spreading their spam uh, across the network. So this will get very expensive for those spammers to use X in the future. This doesn't change our accounts. Our accounts are still going to be working just fine because they're already been there, but this is just for new users. So I, I think I kind of like this approach. I mean, this is ma mainly a trial to see. Um, there's been some speculation as to why they chose New Zealand and the Philippines, but perhaps those are countries that are very uh, heavy with bot usage. And so they're just trying to see if that stems that flow of uh, the bots taking over the network. Now, you, you know, you've so sorry, John, I just wanted to ask, so many things have unintended consequences. And I'm wondering if, if you have any thoughts on whether this will, in fact, have some unintended consequences that, you know, that uh, we should be alerted to? Well, in a weird way, I think this is a, an attempt for X to make some money. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I honestly don't know how many users this is going to affect, because if you're a legacy person, you still have access to uh, Twitter as you know it, uh, X as you know it. Um, if you decide uh, to be a new user or create a new account, you still get to read X. Uh, you just don't get to interact with it. Mm. Um, so you still have the basic functionality. So if you want to sort of like keep tabs on something if with a new account, you can still do that. Um, but the dollar is a fairly low barrier to entry. And if it kills off a lot of the spam bots, I'm kind of interested to see where this goes. Um, because that's one of the reasons why I've stopped using X uh, dramatically is because of the fact that there's just so much garbage accounts on there, so many garbage accounts on there that it's really hard to uh, wade through it all when it's just a constant deluge of garbage. Yeah, I guess I went, the first place I went to was profit. And I understand that like a dollar a year is not a lot of money, but the first place I went to was the profit. And that's kind of what got my ears and eyebrows kind of perked going, mm, I don't love it. But now you've sort of changed my mind on the whole, it's to partially eliminate the bots. Cause I think that's sort of uh, the important, the important thing. I mean, you never know really now whether the person that's following you on Twitter slash X, uh, you know, is, is an actual bot or not. So it can be a little tricky. So you, you've kind of changed my mind on this topic, or at least made me think about this a little further, John. Yeah, I, I think it's still very early days for this, and I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, because I could also see other networks following this path if this does uh, work. Um, but I actually, you know, and, and I'm I'm not a big fan of Elon and, and, and what he's done with Twitter, um, but this actually makes a little bit of sense to me. Well, I guess we'll have to wait to see how it unfolds. Um, I wonder how long it will take before we start seeing... Um, you know, the effects or the, the results of, of this. In, very interesting. Um, sp speaking of uh, very powerful uh, internet uh, bodies, Meta, I love this, Meta will now let you stop Instagram from tracking you across the web. How generous. Tell us about that, will you? Yeah, and so this is something that they were basically legally forced to do with mm. Facebook. And not too long ago, and basically giving you the ability to see all of your 
activity off meta is what they're calling it. And basically this is what, what happens with that data that they collect from your usage on Facebook? Uh, how do they share it? What companies are being shared with it? What companies are looking for that information? All that type of stuff. So now they've expanded this uh, to Instagram. And this actually kind of makes sense in some ways because it's the same company, two different platforms, but they're sort of... Um, uh, combining this sort of back-end settings uh, system, they, what they call the account center, uh, to give you this more unified ability to change your settings across both. This is also the same place where you would go to see what kind of activity you have on those platforms. So if you wanted to download all the things that you've done on Facebook or Instagram, you do that all in the same place in the account center now. So I think this is a you know interesting approach. Uh, maybe a little too little too late kind of approach, yeah. but it's funny what the laws can compel companies to do. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like this is something that that uh, they would do voluntarily. I, you know, I, I think that, that privacy requirements are so poorly understood by most people and, and clearly by major companies, too. I, mm -hmm. I, I would like to see how many people actually take advantage of this ability to get out of the way uh, of uh, Meta and its tracking. Well, I think the interesting question too is who would choose to leave this setting on? Yes. Um, why, why would you want these companies to exploit your personal information or at least being able to track what your activities are yeah. on these platforms? Uh, to me, this stuff should be turned off by default. Um, you're turning it on, you're basically giving Meta an ability to monetize your user account. Um, and uh, we all know that uh, that's all they care about uh, from an advertising perspective, because that's how they pay for things. Uh, and we've talked about it on this program before, about what would happen if Meta started saying, well, hey, for 10 bucks a year or a month or whatever the fee is, you're not going to have any of that tracking, any of those ads. It'll just be a clean experience where you just get to use the social network as it was intended. And then that means you get to pay for your own privacy, which seems a little bit uh, backwards, doesn't it? It should be they have it to sure pay does. you to get the information that they want rather than the other way around. I, you know, my, of course, being somebody very interested in rights, my concern is who else gets access to the information? You know, how easy is it for governments to get hold of the information or for police forces or, or others who, you know, ordinarily, you know, as the ACLU likes to say, get a warrant? Um, you know, are they just, is, is, is your information being handed over willy-nilly? You don't know. No, you don't. Not to mention the number of people that still have very public accounts and they're just posting as if it's private. Yes. Uh, and so just being aware of how your content looks to somebody that's not one of your friends is very important. That's right. I just, I mean, I just can't see any good reason why any, you know, anyone or any platform would say, this is a good reason why we're going to track you across the web. Like, it's just not a good option you know so i tend to agree with you i think it should just be an automatic you know it's not on and that's it but that's just not how the world is going to work your I third mean, topic you... oh go, go ahead. ahead john Nope, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, to, to wrap this one up, is that, you know, the, the idea of having personalized targeted advertising is appealing to some people. If you're going to get <laughs> ads to pay for a service, it might as well be ads for things that you're actually interested in. Mm -hmm. So 
that's that. But, you know, like Susan, like Danielle mentioned, it's, it's complicated and it's all privacy and rights and who actually has access to all this. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Your third topic is uh, chat G- GTP, uh, GPT, excuse me, can infer personal details from anonymous text. Do tell me more on this. Yeah, so this is a really interesting development that we probably all saw coming in the sense that um, AI has the ability to sort of mine all of the content that's ever been said by a a certain individual across the internet. Uh, So um, one of the examples that they use with this particular uh, research paper is that uh, if you were to ask a bunch of your friends at a party a specific phrase, could your friends tell who asked that question based on sort of the way the words are said, certain maybe unique uh, terms that are used that maybe that person is really fond of, those types of things. And so um, the the sample text that uh, they provided is, there is a nasty intersection on my commute. I always get stuck there waiting for a hook turn. And so the AI was actually able to determine personal information because of the word hook turn or the phrase. What does that uh, mean? I'm not familiar with hook turn. I'm not sure either, either but I think it has something to do with uh, traffic um, uh, circles in Australia, which is uh-huh. where this uh, particular uh, example was from. And um, so again, that's, leading in its own way right there is that this is a specific phrase that's used to describe a traffic circle um, in Australia. So it just, again, taking advantage of all the information that uh, a particular person has ever put on the internet, assume that all that information has been harvested by these AI uh, language models, and then they have the ability to then basically sort of drill down and, and discern certain information. It might not be personal identifiable information, but at least narrow the focus down to like, well, this is someone from Australia because of the phrasing of this uh, particular uh, text message, for example. Um, you know, they're, they've been able to um, test this theory with 500 Reddit profiles. And this is basically everything that that person has ever said uh, or typed into Reddit under these profiles. And they were able to get uh, some fairly accurate personal information uh, from uh, with an accuracy level between 85 and 95%, just based on their interactions with Reddit. Wow. Wow. Okay, that's very scary. And I, you know, if I was when you read the phrase, and I, I thought, you know, a, a difficult intersection. Well, that that could help pinpoint where somebody lives, not just, you know, who they mm-hmm. are. Be, be, I mean, not that there's any shortage of difficult intersections <laughs> around the world, yeah. but when you you add an expression like hook turn, which may be familiar to people in Australia, and there there may be other things that we we just don't even think about, you know, expressions that are typically used in one city as opposed to another city. You know, I, I, I'm sure that's true of Toronto, that there are things people in Toronto say that are slightly different from, you know, people where, where you live uh, mm-hmm. would, would say. And, you know, that will pinpoint you. And then we all, we all have sort of um, idiosyncratic ways of speaking that, I, I, you know, wouldn't be hard to find, I, uh, you know, using... A sophisticated enough program that it's again back to the privacy issue isn't it it's quite troubling 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting because this is still very early days, and this is just what's publicly available. I can only imagine what's been privately uh, discovered and experimented with using maybe a much bigger uh, sample of data, uh, as well as, you know, this is just sort of general knowledge kind of uh, questioning. Imagine if they actually had, say, a... Uh, a detective was trying to track down a killer, for right. example, and it seems like a, a plot line from a movie or a TV show, but they could literally just punch in a phrase that this character is known to say uh, and find out where they are based on um, very little information. Um, and that's that's potentially a good use of the technology, but that we know that there's, there's lots of bad uses for this technology as well. Well, John, you always make us think on a... Friday afternoon for your tech updates. We appreciate that. And today was no less. We'll talk to you again next Friday. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You as well. That was John Beeler, who brings us the app update every Friday at this time on Kelly and Rumia. Coming up next is the Buzz with Bill. But we're going to feature the topic of United Airlines is rolling out planes that will let passengers board economy from the window to the to the middle to the aisle so they're going to do this in a specific order bill will fill us in on that and who else who knows where else he'll go on this friday for another edition and the last edition of the buzz with bill for this week we'll be back keep it here for more of kelly and ramya on ami tv Well, it's always fun uh, when we get the opportunity to uh, host Kelly and Ramia uh, on any day of the week. But I love Fridays. People, you know, get us into the mood, whether it's sports, whether it's gardening, whether it's, you know, tech, whether it's sending you back for a cut for time and all these things. But I am always fascinated in this next segment we do and it's the buzz with bill which we do wednesdays through fridays and he comes with a plethora of topics and i told you about the airlines boarding in in an order and i'm not sure bill if that's where you want to start but i was definitely intrigued by that story yes well actually i'm going to do yeah united airlines rolling out plan that lets passengers in economy class with window seats board first so this is going to be happening on october 26th um a move designed uh, of course united saying a move designed to reduce the time planes spend on the ground so basically they have devised this plan called wilma which stands for window middle and aisle seats so essentially there are some exceptions to this but basically what it's going to mean is um, if you have a window seat, you're going to be boarding first. If you have a middle seat, you're going to be boarding second. If you have an aisle seat, you'll be boarding third. Um, passengers in first class or business class, that's not going to change. Or people with disabilities or families with minors, that's not going to change any. So basically what they're saying is since 28, 
2019, it's uh, the the time planes spending that are spending on the ground are two minutes. It has, it has increased by two minutes. So they figure that if you can board, you know, in groups, it means you can find your seat, you can put your luggage up on the bin, and you know how how hectic it can be when you board a plane. Oh, I'm in the wrong seat. You're in my seat. Excuse me while I lift my luggage over, <laughs> you know, over your head. It's a real pain. So, and Billy, it, yeah. I, I have to ask, do you think this means that everybody's going to want a window seat because they get on first and get first dibs of putting their luggage in the overhead uh, shelf there? I have no idea. Um, it might. I don't know. Um, not I, sure. Can I also play devil's advocate? Because, I, and, I, and I agree with what you're saying with the whole, oh, can I lift my luggage in the overhead bin? I'm going to step over you half a dozen times, whatever. But, like, that poor person that's on the aisle, like, they are not going to get space in the overhead bin. That's what and I, I mean. And I understand the point of, well, then book something in the, you know, window or the middle. But, like, that just leaves the person in an already what seems to be this fighting world for space in the overhead bin. That just puts the person at such a disadvantage that I they're going to be I on mean, the I aisle. Never, I never even thought of that end of it. Um, yeah, I guess it would. Um, they didn't offer any solutions to that. Um, really. They never so, do, yeah. do they? <laughs> no, I guess, I guess they don't. Well, I guess they'll they'll figure it out. Apparently, somebody's done an experiment with oh, passenger ex yeah, boarding, they and yeah. they they found that the very best way is to let everybody board all at once without any without caring about who sits, who comes in first, who comes in last, and that people will sort it out in their on their own. And that actually is faster than calling this, you know, the back of the plane or the middle of the plane or the aisle or the size. So. I, you know, I, I'm willing to see what that looks like, but um, I, I would be shocked if it turned out to be a whole lot better. Yeah, well, you know, and the other aspect of this, which is interesting, is um, you say two minutes has it's increased uh, by two minutes by 2019. Mm. It doesn't seem like much, but when you configure configure that there are maybe 20 planes going to an airport, oh, that's um, a lot. you can't land because someone's stuck on the ground. So okay. the idea is. If you can get the less time on the ground, uh, a sooner a plane can land. So I think this is what this is really all about. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I just, I, I, I think, like, the first thing that comes to my mind, guys, is, like, what makes this more efficient for us as the airline, which is fine. But then they, they play this game of, like, oh, but it's going to make it more efficient for the passengers, too. Until you bring up the point of, yeah, but what about the poor soul in the aisle seat that comes in yeah. last that goes, oh, yeah. I'm here now. And, I, like, I love the idea. I appreciate it. But there is always that negative piece to the story. And I think I found the negative piece that says, <laughs> yeah, that poor soul in, in the third That's seat is going to well, be Well, speaking of unintended consequences, I think you figured that one out then, didn't you, Brock? Yeah. Billy, what else do you have for us? Well, we got to... Do a Halloween article, do we not? We oh, should. Yes. <laughs> Zoos yes. and botanical gardens find Halloween programming's programs are a hit and an opportunity. They're haunting array of natural installations 
and spooky events um, provides a fun alternative to trick-or-treating. Trick so basically, this is all about, um, you know, sustainability, about teaching kids the um, about Halloween. And I think you would agree with me that, you know, Halloween and Christmas has become far too commercialized. I don't think kids would agree with us, but here, here, on parent, that. you know, yeah, I know. I don't agree. Well, I sort of do. I like the candy. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, but I'm going to give you an example. At, at the Chicago Botan Botanical Gardens, there's a night of a thousand jack-o'-lanterns, elaborate paintings, and par carved pumpkins and pumping, pumpkin carving contents, entertainment, and festive food mm. and and so yeah well they become a hit with parents i guess who want to teach their kids i mean there's a lot more to halloween than than candy there's a superstition there's i mean you can have fun with with kids other than you know doing the candy thing and i guess parents like it well it sounds I like was... fun but i think that kids kind of expect candy on halloween oh don't they, they do of course of course yeah, and, and I mean, everybody knows that one house that gives out the full-size chocolate bars, right? Yeah, yeah. I kind of like I don't the know. Idea. I, I always love just going and looking at the houses. Like, yeah, the, the candy is great, sure. And, I mean, I liked, you know, having the competitive nature with my siblings of, like, I got more candy, she got more whatever. <laughs> but I just, I love the different things that people would do with their houses and this and that. I, I just, I think for me, it went far beyond candy long before maybe others. And for me, some of people's houses were not accessible. So I would just, you know, roll on the street and my sister would go run up and get the candy for me. And that's, that's fine. But I think that's why, Bill, I was drawn more to what are people doing with their actual houses on the outside. And, 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 you know, and what are they doing at these zoos? I mean, that's, People want to go to, if there's a, there, you can go to the displays. Um, you know, you can go and learn about folk, folklore. Um, there's a lot of things you can learn. And, and they're, they're, they're pushing this as a teaching opportunity to teach kids about sustainability and about, you know, you can do a lot with pumpkins and you can do a lot with costumes and things like, you know, things like this. Well, you know, the animals love pumpkins. If you if you yeah. leave your oh, yeah. your pumpkin out, you you will have a host of visitors. I, I saw an item where somebody um, didn't enjoy carving a pumpkin, so, but they they and they were also trying to. Here we are back at squirrels, uh, trying to keep the squirrels from eating their pumpkins. And then they thought, wait a minute, what if we get the squirrels to carve the pumpkin? So they took the pumpkin and they dabbed peanut butter in the places where the eyes and the mouth would be on the jack-o'-lantern, put it outside, and sure enough, the squirrels bit right through in the right spots and ended up carving the pumpkin for them because they'd uh, decorated with peanut butter. Didn't hurt the squirrels. Squirrels were happy. They were happy. They didn't get all yucky and messy with, with the pumpkins. So, you know, and I've seen people who've asked, uh, you know, when you're finished with your pumpkin, could you please put it out in the woods for the raccoons and the skunks and all of the other animals that like it? So there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot you can do with a pumpkin other than just make pumpkin pie and jack-o'-lanterns. Yeah. 
for yeah, sure. there certainly is. And, you know, as you said about the squirrels, um, it saves a mess in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let, let them do let them do all the work and you can just sit back and do other things. Exactly. Exactly. Can we squeeze one more in on, for us, Bill? Well, the ancient, um, the natural way of making ancient wines is um, getting new fans. So basically, it's like there are, you know, the ancient ways of doing wine where they used to grind, you know, break, um, you know, crust the grapes with the, with your feet. It's becoming sort of kind of interesting about um, people like the idea of drinking wines that were produced thousands of years ago. Um, the only problem, of course, is you can't certify it. You can't sell it at the liquor stores because it has to be tested. Oh, yeah. So, the you know, the problem with, this, with these wines is how do you know about them? I guess the only way you could do it is by word of mouth or on the Internet. But I guess the allure of, hey, this wine was made the same way it was made 2,000 years ago, I guess people are getting into that. Well, I wonder if you can get athletes' foot from drinking wine. <laughs> yeah, know, I don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, the idea of crushing grapes with your feet, um, yeah, I don't no. know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's really fun to do, um, yeah. you know, but speaking of making a mess, that that would, would do it. But I think that, that you, you, could pro you don't have to be quite that uh, authentic right there must there must be other things i know there are plenty of people who make their own wines i oh, haven't yeah. heard that a whole lot of them are down in the basement stomping away on the grapes but uh, i'm no no i don't know uh, i always yeah. thought the the more the age was was or the more the wine was aged was it because we're getting the uh you know whatever people have on their feet back in the day that <laughs> yeah that's maybe. What the ages I, I know that's not how they use it now more often but like yeah i i have a, a very distinct issue with things on my feet and people have said oh it's so satisfying to do this and i'm like yeah mm, no maybe not, not <laughs> so it's yeah i don't think so i i'm yeah. not inclined to do it but well, and, and the thing is, how long can you keep a wine if they're talking about a really old, authentic, you know, ancient wine? Yeah, well, there's no preservatives. That's the thing. So right. it's not going to last, right? I wouldn't think so. I mean, yeah, you need I, to I age it, but how yeah, much? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I'd like the idea. Maybe I'd have a bottle and just, hey, this is made the way the ancient Egyptians did it. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, worth a try. Maybe. No, thanks. <laughs> uh, Bill, thanks so much as always. We really appreciate it. And uh, Kelly and Romeo, we'll talk to you again on Wednesday next week. All right. Thanks a lot. That's Bill Shackleton who joins us for uh, The Buzz with Bill. And we can go any number of ways on any given day. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to bring back segments that we might have had more to say on said topic we're going to be joined by producer grant hardy for that plus we're going to be having another edition of the chatty bookshelf and ryan Huey tells us about something that's been blowing up on social media but after the break it's been about one week since the nhl season has began and i will tell you my early thoughts on the canadian teams in the nhl stay tuned for hour two of kelly and ramia we'll be right back Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
Welcome back to Kelly and Ramia. You have reached hour two on your Friday edition of the program. We are halfway through pushing open your gateway to the weekend. We have lots of conversations still ahead on the program, and uh, it's always fun. So stay tuned with us for the next hour or so. But uh, Danielle, I will hand things over to you. Thank you, Brock. We're ending our week with our latest sports updates, and I'm going to hand it right back to our friend Brock Richardson to give us the headlines. I'm Brock Richardson, and I love sports. As a former pro athlete, I bring you the sports angle beyond the headlines, plus parasport news and analysis. So, Brock, uh, here we are, just the two of us. I feel like we're getting away with something. It's Lovely to spend Friday with you, and I get to learn all about the sports today. What's your leadoff item? Well, I have to uh, make a bit of a correction. Uh, Last week, I was talking about uh, five different sports that will be uh, part of the 2028 Olympic Games in L.A. Uh, I said 2026. 2026 will be the winter Olympic Games and uh, 28 will be the summer. So they're going to have cricket, squash, um, softball, um, flag football, and I'm missing the fifth one. It'll come back to me. Did I hear break dancing? I thought I heard somebody said break dancing. That was one of them, but thank goodness it did not make (laughs) the list of uh, of sports. And it's... uh, I heard that one and I was kind of intrigued about it. And I'm like, yeah, not so much. So (laughs) the sports I referred to last week are for the 2028 Olympic Games in uh, L.A. Uh, My second leadoff item for you is to tell you that just before we came on the air, maybe about 45 minutes to an hour, uh, Christine Sinclair, who is the longtime uh, star for Team Canada in soccer, she has decided to hang up her cleats at the end of this season, which is nearing its end. And and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and that maybe this would be the end for her. And it is, in fact, the end. And I lamented then and I'll lament now while we talk about her. It was quite admirable for her to say, I'm going to stick through it with Team Canada uh, through this window to get them qualified for the Olympic Games and we'll move on from there, possibly. I think she could have very easily said, Listen, I won the gold medal at the last uh, summer games, and so I'm good. I'm happy. But I think when they didn't qualify at the world championships recently, kind of left a little bit of a bitter taste in her mouth. And so she decided to stick around for the window, and she ended up helping them get qualified. And she's decided now that she's going to hang up her cleats. And, Danielle, I have to be honest with you and say that I truly, truly expect her to be involved with soccer in Canada in some capacity because she still lives and breathes a soccer and uh, I would expect to see her in some involvement if not as a manager uh, down the line but uh, yeah I expect there to be some involvement for sure. That's what I was about to ask you she hasn't announced what she's planning to do next I guess it's really early days she's only just announced that that she's uh, stopping doing one thing she hasn't yet told us what she what's coming next but I th- it would be hard to imagine her without an involvement with the sport wouldn't it? It, it, it really is and I gotta and I'll t- tell this to you this way when you are an athlete, it's hard to pull yourself away and say, 
that's that chapter of my life is over. That chapter of my life is done. I'm not going to be involved. And for me, although I'm not an athlete anymore, I'm still involved with, you know, Bocce Canada and doing some stuff with them. I'm still involved in, in their sport and go and support them in, in different ways. And I think most athletes just have it in their blood where they say, no, I really can't completely unplug. It's not in my nature. It's not in my core. And I want to be a part of whatever organization, because a lot of us recognize too that our our given organization or our country has given us so much. And so you want to give back. I know Soccer Canada has had some real trouble. And so it's hard for me to say that Soccer Canada has given uh, Christine Sinclair a lot, but they have, and they've allowed her to to participate and do that. But it's very hard for us to say, nope, I'm going to unplug and and I'm just going to disconnect and do something totally different. You often see people in the realm of what they were doing in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. Teaching or, or coaching or something like that. The 2023 Para Pan Am Games are the next major event on the international calendar. Um, that event will run November 17th to the 23rd. And you have some fond memories when you competed in the Guadalajara, Mexico uh, events in 2011. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, Brock? Yeah, I mean, it's it was one of my favorite events. It was my favorite international event. Uh, that I did. And yes, that uh, goes ahead of the Paralympic Games that I did twice. It was my best uh, international finish that I ever had. Uh, I finished eighth uh, in my category. Um, there was some controversy, if we can put it that way, in in that how I lost my quarterfinal game that I may or may not be a little still bitter about. But, uh, <laughs> you know, as athletes, it's hard to unplug from from those kind of things. And so, yeah, I really do have some fond memories and really enjoyed my time in, in Guadalajara, Mexico. Well, that's really something. And, you know, let's not sneeze at coming in eighth. I mean, that's pretty impressive too, isn't it? You know, you, people notice. So that, that's great to know. We're just a, a month away from uh, the Games beginning. Uh, what are the athletes going through today in preparation for these Games? So I uh, I did an interview with uh, CBC uh, Sports, which you'll see the article very soon on uh, my social media platforms. But um, one of the qu questions he asked was this very thing: is that what do you 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 expect from from people? You know, being weeks and months away from events. Uh, the event that we were talking about in this article was the Bocce National Championships, which is uh, next weekend in Richmond, BC. But the, the the constant theme is that at this point, whether it's a month, a week, whatever, you are really in that position where you're thinking about your mental preparation. You know that you know how to execute your your shots. You know you, you have the skill to do all of that. You know that. So for me, the focus right now for athletes is mental preparation. It's hydration. It's lots of rest. It's it's really avoiding injury in a certain way because you don't want to be a month away from a, a big event and then you push yourself a little too far where you might tear something or have an injury of some kind. It's just it becomes very, very risky. And so coaches and athletes really focus on the rest and the rehydration piece. So that's what you're seeing at this time of the year as we are a month away from the Parapan Am Games. 
What about diet? Do you, do you have a, a particular diet that you stick to while you're in training that's different from what you'd be eating the, the rest of the year, or is, is it, do you keep to that the whole time? You, you, they, I, I'm going to give you the uh, athlete answer, but then I'm going to give you the, the truthful answer. The athlete <laughs> answer is that, yes, you're always, you're going to tell your coaches and you're going to tell all the people that are involved. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the things that I need to do from a diet perspective, but there are some of us, myself included, that might, you know, sneak a little bit of that extra chocolate bar that we shouldn't have or <laughs> shouldn't do. But yes, the, the, the focus really is the, the, the meals. And when you go into a place, um, like Chile, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of different foods that might be offered to you in the, in the village. And they try to give you a plethora of, of things that you can, you can, uh, eat from but you do sort of have to look at what is the the staple of chili is it beans is it beef is it what is it so that maybe you might think okay well if i'm gonna have a lot of beans or a lot of whatever maybe i'm gonna you know prime myself up for that here uh, the same thing can be said danielle if you're going all the way over to china where there's a 12-hour difference maybe you're also looking at changing your sleep patterns so yes. that the jet lag doesn't kill you when you get there because a lot of the times you might only be there for two or three days and then expected to train and compete well those two or three days you might just be getting over the jet lag so if you can you know program yourself to say okay i know the time difference here is you know x amount of hours maybe you can try to program yourself and that's really really hard to do i bet we did that going to china uh we did that and it was tough to to do that and it, but it served well because the jet lag really didn't seem to to bother us but when i was going to bed it was like oh everyone else is getting up and i'm going to bed and darkening blinds and so on and so forth so it, it's it's tough but those are the things you have to do as a professional athlete I imagine it must be quite difficult. I know how I feel when you, you know, turn the clocks back one hour and it takes, you know, I mean, they talk about more traffic accidents and, you know, people that just not feeling themselves. And that's just one hour. But if you're traveling across the globe, that's that's really something to get yourself used to. So thank you for pointing that out. And, and the tough thing, Danielle, that I will say is that you get a lot of support going to the event from athletes from coaches from who's ever part of your team but when you're doing the reverse and you're coming back from a, a country that you know had a big time difference everybody just says i'll just deal with the jet lag as it comes because you're back home you're back in your own environment but i found that to be tougher the coming back home and you might have spent three weeks in a place you know where the time difference was significant but uh yeah it it, it can be challenging and it, it can be real challenging when you don't have as much support coming home that you would have hoped. So I guess they figure you're just going to go to bed and stay there till you feel better or something like right? that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, gosh. Well, now, do you think you have time to bring us up to speed on Major League Baseball playoffs? Uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, uh, I will tell you quickly that the Houston Astros and Texas Rangers are tied 2-2, uh, and uh, the Diamondbacks and Philadelphia Phillies, the Diamondbacks are trailing that series Two to one, and it has been very, very intriguing. Uh, Houston was down uh, two nothing, and they came back to tie it up. So this series is going to divide into something bigger. And tune in this weekend as there's a, a couple of games that will be on board. But yeah.
Wow, lots going on, Brock. Thank you so much for filling us in. Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports updates on Mondays. Yes, I do. And we're going to stay tuned because coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Ryan Huey for another edition of the Chatty Bookshelf. And he's going to tell us about an author who uses Sodamin uh, for something on social media and it's blowing up. He'll tell us more about that next year on Kelly and Romeo. Stay with us. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya as we continue on on your Friday and uh, we're getting close to the end of the program, but still lots of great content left to deliver your way uh we are going to bring in one of our staples and to do that i will hand things over to danielle mclaughlin i'm brock richardson thank you brock on the chatty bookshelf we talk all things audiobooks with ryan Huey. who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket I'm Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? And thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Uh, I love my Friday segments. I love the, the Chatty Bookshelf, and uh, we get to open up the swing gateway wide open. That's right. Well, I, I love your Chatty Bookshelf segments as well, and look forward to them whenever we get a chance to be together on, on air. What are we going to talk about today? So this is a very wild ride, interesting story. Uh, I, I love it. Um, it. It definitely grown my to read list by uh, three books at least. Uh, but on social media, there are some authors uh, that use pen names or pseudonyms, right? And there's for various reasons. Uh, this is uh, a story of one of them, which is really interesting. Uh, and it's kind of Blowing up uh, the internet, especially, you know, book uh, kind of segments on Instagram and things like that. So for those that don't know, we've talked about pen names and pseudonyms before, but it's essentially using an alias or a fake name to for a number of different reasons. Um, it might be, for instance, you, when I say Stephen King, it, it's, you know, horror, uh, that sort of thing. But he, maybe he wants to branch out into a new genre, but then, oh, I this is a romantic comedy or something. I'm not saying he does this, but, you know, just for instance, that, that would be an example. Or even um, back in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, women would use an, a male pseudonym. Uh, they'd, they'd be known as, you know, Ryan Huey or, or something like that. But really, it's, uh, um, you know, HarperCollins that, that is writing a different genre, something like that. Or there's a number of different reasons. Like I said, maybe it's a group of authors. And instead of listing 15 authors' names, they say, hey, this is, uh, this is you know, this person's name and they use a pseudonym so it's uh it's really really interesting but uh this is uh this is one uh, for the books uh, for sure like it's well that's it's great you know there's a, there's such a long history you think about writers like George Eliot who was a woman and George Sand who was also a woman and uh you know I mean you can go back into the 1800s and earlier um the Bronte sisters all use male pen names because they couldn't get published as women exactly. yep. right so exactly. yeah there's a long story when I was in high school I had a uh, an English teacher 
whose father was one of many people who wrote under the name Ellery Queen. Ellery Queen mysteries were very, very popular. And uh, it turned out that there was a whole bunch of people who would all use that name, Ellery Queen. So there's, you know, a long and honorable history uh, of pseudonyms. Exactly. And, you know, it's almost like the ghostwriter, too. Like, sometimes yes. if uh, a novelist will pass or, or you know, gets, doesn't want to write the book anymore or something, they'll, they'll use a pen name as well. So I'm wondering, New York Times bestseller, have you ever heard of Alina Ferrente? I have uh, read all of her books. I am a big fan. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> so you know, you know the 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 uh, Napoleon Quartet uh, and my brilliant friend and those yes. sorts of things. So uh, that so that is obviously her pen name, uh, and that has been well noted. But since about 2015, this this story has been kind of breaking. So uh, and it's really interesting because uh, it's very closely guarded. That's a secret that nobody really knows. Is it uh, is it this person? Is it that person? There's grumblings all over the internet. However, like I said, the story takes us over Europe in Rome in 2017. A research a research firm and a researcher kind of took a shining to this person and said, you know what? I think that that I think I can figure out who this person is. I'm going to do some I'm going to, you know, do some in-depth research and base it on facts and for what he found and, you know, based on the writing style and this, and, and I'm not going to say the, the person's name, but he outed the alleged uh, Elena Ferrante in her, in her real name uh, on social media and the author, the publisher, everybody denies it, but here's the wild part. So we just spoke of, you know, uh, women using um, uh, a men's pen name. So they went to her husband and who is an author. And they they said, well, if it's not her, then it must be you. You must be writing huh. these books. And and, and the, the books uh, for reference are uh, about uh, two. It, it, they place in uh, post-war Italy about two women that are sort of, that are best friends, and it sort of follows them around. And and they're they're very good. I, I I've um I've put them on my to read list. I haven't gotten through around. So I, Danielle, I know that you said you love them, which is great. Uh, and uh, like you're one of millions. They've been exactly. translated into several different languages. They're available in audio, uh, ebook, and print. And uh, it's it's really fascinating because you know her uh, her friend or sorry her husband Domenico Star Starco uh, is is said you know well why would this would change the game if a man is using a woman's pen name sort of thing right so it's, it's sort of flipping the tides and it's going on and now there's tons of things on tiktok about this conspiracy theory or no it must be this person because uh, uh the the facts that the researcher found all show that it's, it's her and it's really really interesting and you know it doesn't take much to get me down a rabbit hole but a <laughs> friend showed me this and i spent all night uh, one night this week just researching and and going into uh, and saying you know what 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 do what, what we what do we what do we know and what, what do we what are we guessing kind of thing uh, really interesting. So it's um, that's the I, I just I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about the books because uh, I, I know as, as an avid reader um, I'm I'm hooked. I haven't even started them and I'm hooked. Uh, yeah, I think you will enjoy them. The to read list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I really found puzzling is that Elena Ferrante writes a regular column in the Guardian newspaper in England, and I thought, how do you keep a pseudonym secret if you're you know that frequently contributing to a, a you know to public media, but I you know I'm not sure that I believe that it, that it's any one particular person. It might be several. The stories are fascinating, and it would be hard to imagine um, a man. 
I mean, men can write anything about women, women can write anything about, about men, but it starts out with two little girls, um, the first, the first of, of the trilogy, and they have, um, you know, a very uh, intense relationship. And over the three books, it, it, this develops, they grow up, they get involved with uh, political issues in Italy of the time. It's, I think you'll find them intriguing. I, I hope you enjoy them. I'm going to check back with you after you've had a chance to listen to, to, to these books to find out what you think. You know what, based on your recommendation and the recommendation of millions uh, and the conspiracy theory alone, like yes. I love going down a rabbit hole. I mean, I'm hooked already. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm anything uh, around the post-war era and during the war that that time setting uh, fascinates me. Uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's grown my to read list by three. Uh, and uh, it's called the Neapolitan uh, Quartet and yes. My Brilliant Friend uh, by Elena Ferrante, who is the pen name. But the, even just Google it uh, and, and you know, who is the real Elena Ferrante? And you'll, it won't take you long, about three, three Google search pages down, you'll get into it. And uh, the Wikipedia page is really interesting. Uh, obviously, anybody can add anything there, but it's really fascinating to see people picking sides and, and, you know, looking at it, it can't be her, it has to be him, it, has, it can't be him, it has to be this third person, and uh, I, I, there, there's just so many writing similarities between the the book and the, the, the article in The Guardian that it's hard to kind of distinguish, uh, you know, what, what is, is, is it this person or is it someone else kind of thing. Yeah. Ryan, do you think that this was done, like, with intent to get people down this rabbit hole that you're talking about? Like, is this the reason? Like, yeah, is it the reason honestly, to say, let's honestly, see what no, people get into? I, I, I don't, just because the books were well over translated into like 15 languages. Like, they were pretty popular. I don't think they needed any help getting the push, you know, getting the media. So this is this is something that someone's like, hey, I, I think it's, I, I don't want to say a vendetta or maybe, a, you know, revenge or something, but they're like, hey, I want to I wanna be right. I want to prove someone wrong and say, hey, this is, this is what I found about this person, and Elena Ferrante is actually Ryan Hui or whoever, you know, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Ryan, are you trying to tell us something? No, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely not. But uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. That How's you, your that Italian? <laughs> not, not good. No. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. They made a movie. They took, sort of took the the plots of of the the three uh, main books and put it together. And Olivia Coleman stars in it. I think it's called The Lost Child. Uh, excellent yes. movie um, based based on 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 the plots. It, it kind of skips over um, a lot of the the detail in in those novels. But you know, the novels are a very interesting uh, study of the the class system. In Italy after the war, and you know, looking at poverty, looking at who becomes wealthy, looking at uh, organized crime. Um, so you know, there's there's so much in it. Uh, it's it's hard to believe that um, you know that there's somebody who who just wants to get attention because they they're using a pseudonym. I I think that this is a very fine writer, and I'm curious as to why. She has chosen not to let people know who she is. I'm wondering if there's a political reason for it. You know, is, you know, the politics you know, in wonder, Italy. Yeah. I wonder the same thing, but it's, it's a lot of, the, a lot of people say, you know, she just likes the privacy. She doesn't want to be known as a, you know, someone that has had millions of her books sold, that kind of thing. She's not about the fame. Uh, you know, she, she's obviously the, the, the old, the publisher and that's about it. You know, a few close friends and family might know, but other than that, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
it's really um, down to the nitty gritty that that do know who the real person is. And I, I think it's sort of the, you know, fame kind of changes you a bit or, you know, hey, I, I, I like the relaxed lifestyle where I could, you know, just relax, write books and, and live my life rather than having to do everything because who, how are you going to get a fake person, essentially air quotes, to, to go to sign books in 15 different countries because it's written in 15 different languages kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Who shows up at the book fairs, I wonder? I, I know, right? Yeah. And maybe the person just simply, Ryan, to your point, wants it to be about the book versus them, you know, like that that could be it, right? And And I think I look at this and I say, well, but why wouldn't you want to be associated with such a successful thing? But maybe it is. I want the focus just to be purely on the series and that's it. That's that's our sports uh, nature coming in, right? Yeah, as much as we say we don't want the fame, you know, we want our name on that Stanley Cup. You're you're not putting the pseudonym up there, kind of thing. It's really interesting uh, to me too that you know, like someone that has probably poured a big majority of their life into the the four books or the three books. Sorry, um, you know, it's it must be nice to look and say, hey, they've been sold this many times, kind of thing, millions and millions of times, but. I, I do also wonder, and I know that's just the the person in me that I'm like, huh, you know, really, I do, do you want to keep people guessing? Is that part of the fun, maybe for her? I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, or, I wonder uh, that. If, I mean, if you look at somebody like J.D. Salinger, who was a famous recluse, you know, didn't do interviews, didn't sign books, didn't do any of those things, right. and I'm wondering if. You know, did did that increase the attraction to his works? Did people think, you know, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to find him? There are stories of people who apparently did find him. Um, you know, he, I mean, he wasn't completely, you know, hidden behind walls. Uh, but, you know, did, did, did people do this for a purpose other than the one that they state, you know? And I, I'm curious. Interesting thought. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, I'm, now I'm curious, too. That's... Didn't take me long to go down the rabbit hole, like I said before, and uh, you know the the mystery of Elena Ferrante lives on, and I think that's even reason to to read the books, even if you're not into this sort of genre, this sort of era. It, I'm sure they must be well well written if so, over millions have been sold and, yeah. and stuff. But it's 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 really an interesting side piece, side story sort of thing. And like I said, it's blowing up on TikTok and and X, and it's just been posted everywhere. It's really cool to, to see that people are you know, spending their three minutes on TikTok, you know, talking about this and the conspiracy and giving thoughts on, oh, maybe it's this person or maybe it is the husband or maybe it's none of it. Maybe it's someone completely different. It's it's really uh, interesting to see the the love for the books and to see the the, how how many people love mysteries. It's not just it's not just me that goes down the rabbit hole. Well, thank you so much for for this contribution. I think I may have to go back and reread some of this, and I'd love to hear how you enjoy the books once you've had a chance to, to get into them. Thank you so much, Ryan. Appreciate it. Take good care, guys. That was our friend Ryan Huey, who joins us every Friday on the Chatty Bookshelf. Well, what else we do every Friday at this time coming up after the break is that we weigh in on some conversations from this week. We call it Cut for Time. Producer, reporter Grant Hardy will join us and weigh in with his segment that he chose from this week. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. 
I am coming back uh, with the pseudonym name of Kelly McDonald, and uh, Daniel McLaughlin has changed her pseudonym name to Rami Amuthan. I'm Rami Amuthan. <laughs> part of the program. Just kidding. Just I, kidding. I'm Brock Richardson, yeah. and uh, Daniel and McLaughlin is the Amethan. one with me. <laughs> I think the TV side of things uh, gives us away a little bit because uh, even as much as we try, we we do not look like Kelly and Romeo. Uh, but if really fascinating conversation uh, from Ryan Huey and uh, always great stuff uh, coming up on his segment. So tune in next Friday for more of the uh, chatty bookshelf. And as we do this time of the day on Fridays, we get into a cut for time where we might have had more to say on something or in Danielle in my case we didn't have any time to say anything because we weren't here for most of the week and now's our chance so Danielle I will hand it over to you to kick us off thank you very much Brock on Monday's show Grant led a discussion on discriminatory zoning laws in the Vancouver area here he is telling us more about that apartments were considered undesirable so Apartments were, quote, smaller and less expensive options and often housed racial minorities, the uh, LGBTQ community, single mothers, low-income families, or other marginalized populations that faced outright discrimination and racism when seeking a place to live. These groups were actually often banned from owning property and had few legal protections as tenants who faced quite a lot of discrimination, even just trying to find a place to rent. And it turns out that, uh, according to this opinion piece anyway, uh, and a book that they reference in the article, the desire to limit apartments was a guise to exclude people who were deemed undesirable uh, or unsuitable to the ideal white, heterosexual, and middle-to-upper-class family. Yeah, very interesting. Um, you know, using zoning bylaws uh, in order to promulgate discrimination was uh, practiced for so long. Um, one of the things that I, I learned about was there are deeds to homes, to houses, that uh, of course contain illegal um, discriminatory clauses, but they're still there. So, for example, it is possible that you could find that you're buying a house that prevents you from selling that house to somebody from an ethnic minority or to somebody who does not, quote, fit into the neighborhood. Now, this is one of the reasons we have human rights commissions and acts across Canada and in every province. Um, what those zoning bylaws did now are that's strictly illegal. You cannot refuse to rent to somebody because of their ethnicity or their disability or their marital status um, or their race. Those are not, uh, not, not lawful. But if you look back at some of this stuff, you'll see it, it's very common. Um, and isn't it a relief that it's now against the law? There were people who said, oh, we don't, we don't really want uh, to change laws because, you know, we like it the way it is. We want people who fit in with our neighborhood, people who are, as, as Grant explained, you know, white, middle-class, uh, heterosexual folks. Fortunately, uh, it, doing this overtly is now strictly against the law. 
are people still finding ways to get around it? Are they still saying, no, you can't uh, build a fourplex in a community that really just has single-family homes? They're still trying to do that. Um, and, you know, because there's such a shortage of housing now, people are saying, well, you know, it's time we, we started to realize that, that those days are, are behind us. Grant, uh, what do you think about your story? Well, you know, for, for me, and man, you would have been a great person to, to have on for that segment, because I, I know you have a lot of knowledge about, you know, this type of thing. For for me, to be honest, uh, you know, sometimes you grow up, I grew up in the 1990s, and uh, sometimes things are just the way it is, and you yeah. don't really question why things are the way they are. But if you actually study things like zoning which i really had no idea until i started doing research for this article or you know bail or you know certain certain types of crime why we punish certain types of crime more more uh, harshly than others like, a lot of it does come back to these roots of like no this wasn't just quote unquote the way it was it had to do with you know deeply entrenched uh, discrimination and uh, racism and maybe it has slightly different effects today like today it's just sort of man i wish i could get access to some more high rises whatever some cheaper apartments uh but those roots are very uh very problematic um definitely really good to have that knowledge that's that's all i can say because it it it's it's disgusting but <laughs> given the stuff that's happened in the world and happened in our country in the last several years maybe not that surprising brock yeah no it's not and uh first of all before i get into my thoughts welcome grant i forgot to uh say in the segment no, that no, you were going to be no joining worries. us so uh, hello kelly <laughs> no just <laughs> kidding yeah absolutely right it's uh it's good to have you and those are good thoughts i i've always wondered why we we would have had these things that say you can't do this you can't sell a house to to, to this ethnicity this uh, you know, merit person because they've chosen this marital step, whatever. I, I, you know what? If you're moving from a place and someone needs to live there, it shouldn't be opposed on you or pressed upon you to decide who should live there. I mean, certainly if they're, you know, a, a, a deep criminal and you know that your your neighbors have, you know, a bunch of kids or whatever maybe that's something you look into but if it's just simply oh i don't like you because of the color of your skin no we're we're way beyond that in in 2023 so i'm glad to see that this is no longer a thing i was sticking mm -hmm. to monday danielle spoke about the idea of how to deal with conflict and disagreement here she is explaining a little bit more well, I think the first thing that we need to say is there should be no ad hominem attacks. And that means you don't get to call people names. Right. You don't yep. get to tell them they're bad or, right. um, you know, or awful or that you, you know, that you hate them. You don't, it, you're not attacking a person, which is at what ad hominem means. You're attacking an idea. You're attacking a policy. You're attacking something that you believe is wrong in the world. Um, you're attacking a government, for example, point of view. If you say that, and I'm going to use the Israel-Palestine conflict because it is on 
everybody's mind right now. If you say, I do not like the way this government has behaved, you are not saying that you hate the people who live in that country. Mm. You are not saying that they are bad people. You are saying that the choices that have been made by a government, in your opinion, are wrong, are um, dangerous, and should not have been made, should be changed. I really believe that people go into an argument well-intended. They go into an argument where they want to get their point out. I think what happens invariably in the argument is when somebody disagrees with somebody, they immediately get their back up and they say, well, how dare you not have my same opinion? How dare you not believe what I believe? But it's it's... We don't know how to appropriately argue anymore or have a dispute. And one of the things that was said in, in, in parts of the, the, the segment there was people are allowed to have a difference of opinion. And maybe, you know, someone's differing of opinion opens your eyes into thinking, well, what about this? Like I go back to John John Beeler's segment. I When I saw John Beeler's segment about, you know, X charging a dollar. I was irate listening, <laughs> reading the, uh, the the thing, and then I thought when he brought up, yeah, but it's for the bots. I was thinking, oh well, now this makes sense. And I think sometimes with arguments, it's one of those things where it's like maybe when you hear someone's side of the argument, you might, it might open your eyes. But I think all too often, as soon as somebody disagrees with us. We take offense and we say, I'm no longer having this conversation. And then you ruin friendships, you ruin colleagues, you ruin all those things. So for me, I look at this and I say, people just need to learn to have a more civil argument than we do. Because it gets too dangerous in the world of like losing friendships, losing people. That's not the point of a, of a disagreement, I don't think. It's a, it's a point to say... I believe in this. This is why. And I'm not coming to change your opinion. I'm just coming to maybe give you a different a different tone. But we, we get shut off into that tone because the person simply doesn't agree with what we said. And Danielle, I know you brought this segment, but that's just my feeling. It's like maybe open our eyes a little bit more into broaden your, your mindset as to let's listen to what this person has to say and not jump to, well, you're wrong because this is my opinion and that's the end of it. Well, I think you're right, especially about the listening part, Brock. You know, first you have to listen. And if you're actually listening, instead of just waiting for your turn to give your opinion, you will learn something. You might not like what you learn, but you know, that's why it's sometimes helpful to, to listen carefully and then decide whether you want to say anything or not. Sometimes you may not. But if you do want to say something, you can start your portion of the discussion or argument with, yes, and um, then it's your turn to, to explain why you feel the same, why you feel differently, why you believe that the person may be in error. Um, but it, it takes patience to do it. And you can't just say, you know, I'm going to run to the social media platform of my choice and I'm going to post what I think because what I think is more important than what anybody else thinks. It's not. Um, you need to listen first. And you can't jump to the conclusion that somebody has said something that uh, you disagree with 
until you actually know what it is they've had to mm -hmm. say. So, you know, I, I, I cannot recommend listening highly enough as a, as a way to start a respectful argument. Grant, what do you think about that? You know, I really wish that schools would teach us how to argue yes. properly and how to deal with conflict. One of the most fascinating classes I ever took was the philosophy of logic in university. And you're you're so right that there are so many of these like fallacies that make your argument seem like it's a good argument, but it actually isn't. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the, when we think of an ad hominem, uh, you know, the most obvious is just, oh, you're a horrible person, whatever. But you can really, uh, you know, slip in a much more subtle ad hominem like you know well if you believe if you believe this way you know you you must you know i'm sorry that you know your morals aren't quite you know as high <laughs> as mine or so something like that it's easy to kind of slip that in there's also this you know appeal to uh to oh i can't remember what it's called appeal to you know your uh, superiority as in you know well I have a degree in mm -hmm. child psychology so I know how to parent better than you or there's this sea lioning I think that's what it's called where people you'll be talking about a very specific issue and someone will jump in and say well prove to me that you know discrimination actually exists yeah and yeah. it's kind of a de derailing tactic because mm -hmm. they're, they're disrupting the whole argument rather than being helpful. So, yeah, I, f I find that absolutely fascinating. And I, I wish that folks would teach us how to argue properly because it's yeah. really... Because it moves things oh. ahead when you know how to do it, right? Rather than just oh. going around in circles and sort of more and more, absolutely. you know... Absolutely. Yeah, closer circles. Uh, a little bit of a lighter note, and I don't really know how much time we have for this, but yesterday on Curious Minds, Christina Malik talked about, oh, our favorite word, ChatGPT, and their partnership with Be My Eyes. Super beneficial, actually, and here's a little demo from her on how that works. The picture you've shared is an aerial view taken from what seems to be an airplane. The top two-thirds of the image is dominated by a clear blue sky. As you move towards the bottom third of the image... You can see the curvature of the earth and the horizon where the sky meets the land. The land below is a patchwork of green and brown fields. The fields are varying in size and shape, and it looks like a mix of agricultural land. The image gives a sense of vastness and open space. The curvature of the earth refers to the slightly curved line where the sky meets the land or sea, and it's visible especially from a high altitude. In the picture, this is seen as a gentle curve at the point where the blue sky starts to meet the land. It gives the impression that the Earth is round, as opposed to a flat surface. This curvature is more pronounced when you are at a higher altitude, like in an airplane, as it is in the picture you shared. Yeah, so this was taken by her out uh, from an airplane window, obviously. As someone who's blind, there's so many times I'll be on Reddit, I'll be on a forum, someone will post like, oh, isn't this incredible? And then they'll just show an, an image. Mm -hmm. The ability to run that through the AI and have it give me a really good description of what it is, is fantastic. The only thing I'm a little bit worried about is if I inadvertently submitted anything that the AI deemed not appropriate, like not intentionally, but just because I found it on a forum, whatever, didn't know what it was, but it's maybe a little more than the AI is willing to describe. I don't know what it would do. It might ban my account, and that's difficult for a blind person to sort of know one way or the other. Um, 
but ultimately, I think it's a really good step forward. Dan- Danielle, do you want to comment on this? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious that there are things that AI won't describe. Oh, um, there absolutely are. And, yeah. you know, what kind of things are we, are we talking about? Pornography, I guess? Yeah, or just, you know, it has a very high, quote-unquote, moral bar. So anything that it deems as, you know, not appropriate, you know, a little bit, like, adult-rated just offensive in general it it won't which is tricky because you know i saw uh, reading about those the protests about you know trans rights in school and people would say like oh this is horrible and then post a link to a picture and i'd be like i really want to see what this is but if it's an inappropriate sign is it gonna like inappropriate for who grant i mean i find i'm i'm absolutely shocked that they that you you would be uh forbidden from knowing what it is that's in front of you i don't think that it should have opinions i think ai should not be making those decisions <laughs> it should tell you exactly what it is and then you get to decide what whether you want to hang on to it or not that's that's a terrible piece of information that i did not previously have thank you for that i just thought the the stuff was when they tell you it's beautiful and i thought well, who gets to say if something's beautiful or not? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I really don't want a uh, a robot with an opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, everyone gets to view whatever they want. And yes. I'm not picking anything, you know, inappropriate at all. I, I, I just think that whatever you de- deem that you want to view, you should view it like Absolutely. the rest of the world. And I'd like... We could spend an entire segment on this. Gotta go. Thank you, Grant. I love the chat. And uh, they'll talk to you next week. Cheers. That's Grant Hardy, who joins us for Cut for Time and some other segments throughout the week as well. He'll be back next week. Danielle and I will be back to wrap up the program and tell you about what's coming up on the weekend on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Plus, we'll give you a preview of Monday's program when Kelly and Ramia do make their triumphant return. Stay with us. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Welcome back to the final segment on your Friday. The gateway is essentially open. Stay with Danielle and I for a few minutes as we have some uh, stuff to tell you about before we let you go. But I'm going to do something that... uh, Sometimes people do, but Danielle and I don't get to do this very often, and I'd like to shout out the entire Kelly and Romeo team today for helping us through this. Thank you to the control room. Thank you for Kelly and Romeo for taking the day off and letting us, you know, take us through the day. It went seamless, and we appreciate it. So thank you to everybody involved, and you'll get credit uh, credits at the end of this program as who's involved if it might be your first time on the program but thank you very much to everybody involved and thank you danielle as well as if we might not have time to do that at the end of the program but uh yeah i just thought i would take a few seconds to thank everybody for their efforts and i echo your thanks and thanks to you too i you know it's kind of a a treat to get to play in kelly and rumia's sandbox um and to have all of the support of the team behind the scenes is wonderful as i say they they pull us out of the fire quite regularly yes absolutely uh let's tell you about what's coming up on the weekend let's start with ami audio let's talk about the Washington Post this week is going to be on Saturdays on AMI-audio. Join host Matt Spears as he reads through a selection of the most kind of 
wonderfully published things in the Washington Post that you can catch on uh, Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern in the morning. And that's the Washington Post covered by Matt Spears. Danielle, you're going to tell us about what's coming up on AMI-tv this weekend. That's right. Our community, airing Sundays on AMI-tv, highlights the people, places, organizations or things that have made life more enjoyable for Canadians with a disability. This week, learn about Calgary's National Access Arts Centre, Canada's oldest and largest disability arts organization. You can tune in to our community Sunday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Our closing moment for today is that the funny bone is not actually a bone. It is a nerve. And I want to know, Danielle, quickly, whether you have had any situation where you have hit your funny bone and never really forgotten about it. Yeah, and I wasn't laughing. I, that that nerve, uh, I, I was in grade four. It was a long time ago. I never <laughs> forgot. And you know, when you hit it, it starts your ring finger and your little finger tingling. And to this day, if I brush by something with my left elbow, I get that tingling back. So yeah, nerves nerves hurt when you smash them. Yes. I constantly, as I roll up my hallway uh, multiple times a day will hit my my funny bone on the door as it opens out towards the hallway and I'm constantly hitting my right elbow it's a wonder it's ever not numb to be honest with you so uh, yeah it's 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 one of those testy things that just kind of yikes it's it's uh, it's it hurts exactly. Danielle thank you so much for joining me Let's tell everybody what's coming up on Monday's edition of the program. Danielle McLaughlin will discuss the idea of whether you should disclose your substance uh, dependency to an employer. She will discuss that. And ChatGPT released a hands-free option for mobile users. What is this feature? Michael Babcock tells us during our Tech Talk. Have a great weekend. Good night. Reporter, Grant Hart. Senior show producer, Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Producer, Marianne Dion jones Graphics, Andrew Antonello. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Control room operators, Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtobe. Director, Irene Solomon. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Director of TV Production, Kara Nye. Vice President, Content Development and Production, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc. Hey guys, it's Brock Richardson host of today's Kelly and Ramia, alongside Danielle McLaughlin. And today for the Vanity Card, I thought I would discuss the idea of career choices. People always say, if it wasn't for this career, in this case broadcasting, what would you do? And I think I would go back to my original job, quote-unquote, of being an athlete. But I wouldn't necessarily be the athlete. I would want to work inside the walls of a national sports organization. So Bocce Canada, Wheelchair Basketball Canada, something like that. Or even 
uh, the Canadian Paralympic Committee, which we had a really in-depth relationship with them uh, when we did the neutral zone a number of years ago. Those are kind of the things that I think about when I think, if I wasn't doing broadcasting, what would I do? Not that I'm going anywhere in broadcasting. I absolutely love it. But it's just one of those things of, if I wasn't doing this, what would I do? And so that's my Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.